This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
Thanks, Tim. And I uh, just want to thank uh, really the whole church for making us uh, feel welcome here. I, uh, two people stand out in my mind that uh, welcomed us when we first came to the church. One was Bonnie, and then uh, Jeremy Olring uh, was the first person I think that ever spoke to us. And uh, he was out in the hallway and just uh, greeted us, and uh, he probably doesn't even remember, but... Uh, made us feel so welcome. And then since then, so many families have had us over to their homes, and uh, Joe's been gracious enough to uh, allow me to speak uh, several times here. And so we thank you so much for all that you've uh, done in making our family feel welcome here. And uh, just uh, that uh, culture of grace and acceptance and uh, love that permeates, uh, permeates the church is, is uh, very welcoming to people. So thank you, uh, thank you all of you who have uh, fed us and entertained us and done whatever. Uh, we appreciate the church. And with that in mind today, I hope I'm able to encourage you um, and build you up uh, with some good news, just the good news of God's grace. Uh, we're talking about God's amazing grace today. And of course, we all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. So we have been saved by grace. In fact, all of life is about grace. And so today we're just going to try to focus on Jesus, and we're going to try to focus on his grace. And um, I I hope that um, that will be our focus now. You know, when I was in high school, I was a sprinter on the track team. I ran the 100 and the 200 and various relays. And I'll never forget how mentally sharp and focused you had to be to run 100 meters full tilt. Now, you might think, what in the world could be any more mindless than just running down the length of a football field and calling it a day? Uh, but it, uh, you really did need to focus on the finish line You know, uh, a sprinter cannot afford even a glance to the left or a glance to the right. He can't afford a glance at the crowd. I I even tried not to even think when I was running because (laughs) you have, it is such a mental race and you have just got to be totally focused on the finish line. Your only hope of winning is to look at the finish line and go full tilt toward it. And I'm reminded of uh, Hebrews 12.2 that tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the author in the sense that he created our lives and our spiritual lives and he secures it. Uh, the book of Revelation it talks about the, the book of life, and that book of life has already been authored by Jesus, and the book is already complete, and, uh, and uh, he has finished the book, and he has written your name in it. He's also the perfecter of our faith. He doesn't just start our faith, but he finishes our faith. He writes us into the book and then prepares us for heaven. So we need, as this Bible verse tells us, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. So my thesis this morning is this. Fix your eyes on Jesus and stop focusing on yourself. 
My goal today is to have you leave the service thinking about Jesus and not yourself. We have Jesus and we have salvation by God's grace given to us through our faith. You really can't talk about Jesus without talking about his grace. So let's talk about God's wonderful grace, God's amazing grace this morning. What is grace? Well, grace is just that it's about God, it's not about us. So we're talking all this morning about God. And God's grace is his generous disposition whereby he gives to us salvation. He works in our heart and he convicts us of our sin. He points us to Jesus. He gives us the faith, the trust in Jesus. And he does this all because of who he is and not because of anything we have done. He's just a very, very giving God, and he will always be a very giving God. Grace is related to the word gift or giving. God gives us the gift of new life, and he takes away our heart of stone, and he gives us a heart of flesh. In the giving of that gift of salvation, God, by the way, is not motivated by any merit in our lives. Nor is he motivated by any future goodness in the sinner, which might result from his gracious gift. God is solely motivated by his own gracious character. Let me give you an example of something that is not grace. A basketball coach might recruit a young man to his team because he sees future greatness in this young man. Even though the kid really isn't a very good basketball player at this point, the coach envisions a day when he will become a great player. And therefore, he chooses him for his team. God does not do that. That's not grace. Grace is not drawn out by some kind of goodness it sees within us. Grace is not drawn out by some kind of future goodness within us. If you think that God has saved you because you have great potential, you do not understand grace. Now, you may, in fact, have great potential. I'm not doubting that, but that's not why God saved you. God saved you because God is God. He is gracious. He is kind. He is good. He is loving. And he has simply given us the gift of salvation regardless of our merits. Grace is not simply the entry point to the Christian life. Grace is the road that we need to stay on for the rest of our lives. My wife and I were talking about this coming over to church this morning. And, I, and we just were talking about how so often people kind of get this confused in their minds. They think that you, you sort of enter the Christian life by grace. And then from that point on, it's kind of pretty much all up to you. Christian author Dane Ortland writes, The natural default mode of the human heart is a restless heart-wandering, whereby we are constantly looking for something to latch on to for significance, and to know that we matter, to feel okay about ourselves. The tendency is often profoundly subtle, and it's extremely difficult to root out. However, the far-reaching grace of the gospel calms our hearts, and nestles us into the freedom of not needing to constantly measure up since Jesus has already measured up on our behalf. It really is all about Jesus and what he has done. 
Christians have little trouble entering the Christian life through the portal of grace, but they have enormous problems of staying on the pathway of grace. They easily fall back into justifying themselves. They know that they're saved by grace, but then they try to grow by grinding it out or trusting in themselves or berating themselves or focusing on themselves. So to feel better about themselves, they work harder or they attend more church meetings. Uh, They take pride in their career. Uh, They rest in their possessions. They take pride in their kids. They feel good about how they plan and manage their lives. They rejoice that everybody thinks they have it together. Or they rest in their numerous, numerous Christian activities. Don't rest in those things. Don't trust in those things. That is taking away from the work of Jesus. For a lot of Christians, grace got them in, but in their minds, grace is not enough to keep them in. So they kind of fall back onto that performance treadmill. All of life is about grace. Everything you have really is a gift from God. Your physical life, that is a a work of grace right there. Just the fact that you are even here today is an evidence of the fact that God created you. Being born was not your idea. Um, You did not advise your mother and father about the fact that you wanted to one day be born. You did not exist. So, where did you come from? Who gave you this life? Who gave you this flesh and bones? God did. And it's a gift of His grace. Your spiritual life, the fact that you are a believer, that too is a gift. We just read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Your eternal life is a gift. Your spiritual gifts are a gift from God. The fact that you can teach, the fact that you can serve, the fact that you can give, the fact that you can uh, um, just serve the Lord each and every day, that is a gift from God. If you're good at something, it's not because you are inherently good. It's because God has made you that way. God has given you that spiritual gift. And uh, most importantly, the ability to just live the Christian life uh, comes from God's power and God's working. It's all a gift. So we are just immersed in and in need of living in grace all of our lives. And grace is not a hotel. Grace is a home. Grace is not a place you visit and then move on. It's a place that you live. When you get close to a national park, like we did this summer up in the state of Washington, you might stop at a hotel or a bed and breakfast and sort of rest there for a day or two before you actually go up into the national park. So you get into your hotel or your bed and breakfast and you enjoy the meals and then you enjoy the uh, amenities, the swimming pool or whatever they have there and you rest up and uh, enjoy being there. But the hotel is only the entry point to your vacation. So the next day you get up and leave and you travel down the road and you enter the national park. That's how a lot of Christians look at grace. It's the hotel before 
the real adventure. You stop there, you refresh your soul, you have your sins forgiven, you receive eternal life, you receive Jesus, and then you leave. And you're on the road of good works. You have long since left the hotel of grace. And that's an erroneous view of grace. God, or excuse me, grace is not a stopping off point on the way to the kingdom of God. It's not a quick pit stop that saves you and then sends you on your way. It's not a hotel, it's a home. And we need to live within and rest in God's grace for the rest of our lives. One of Satan's great strategies, and I think it really is brilliant, is to get Christians to come to the point in their lives where they think they have outgrown grace. Satan nurtures the Christian life with a lot of good thoughts. He, oh, Satan wonderfully loves to just compliment us. You're doing well. You're doing good. Oh, the church is so lucky to have you. Oh, God is lucky to have you. You're doing well. But, um, you know, you, you can't live in that hotel forever. Um, you, you need to get out and stand on your own now. And uh, you, you need to move on. Uh, you need to stand on your own two feet. Uh, it's time to be responsible for your life. And it's time to move forward. Uh, you've had enough grace. And now it's time to work. Well, to that, the Christian should answer this way. Number one, you're talking, you've got to learn to talk back to Satan. Some of us are not snappy and zippy enough, and we're not confrontational enough when it comes to Satan. You've got to learn to talk back to Satan. So when he tells you it's time to move out of your home or out of your hotel, you could first of all say, well, Satan, grace is not my hotel. It's my home. Number two, I'm going to live here the rest of my life. I'm never going to outgrow my need for Jesus. I'm never going to outgrow my need for dependence upon him and for his grace and for his help and for his love. I'm never going to move on. I'm never going to stop needing his mercy and love and forgiveness. I am more dependent upon Jesus today than I was when I first became a Christian. So Satan, get behind me. I am not leaving grace. You see, grace motivates. Guilt discourages. Grace fills our hearts with gratitude and praise. Guilt fills our hearts with failure and the desire to quit. So on the battlefield of life, you need something to sustain you, not drain you. A constant focus on yourself will eventually drain you. A focus on Jesus will sustain you. He said, I am the bread of life. And what he meant by that is, please come to me, come to my table, and eat at my table every day. I, I am the bread of life. What do I need? What do you need to sustain yourself? What do you need to feel good about yourself? What do you need to find the energy to live for him? What do you need to pray better? What do you need to study better? You need him. Please feed on Jesus. Listening to the lives of Satan will drain you. Listening to the gospel will sustain you. Being on a performance treadmill will drain you. 
But breathing in the pure, clean oxygen of grace will sustain you and energize you. We've just got to learn to breathe in grace all the time. And by the way, God's supply of grace never runs out. I think we see, think of grace a little bit like being a, 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 an oxygen tank, you know. And you, you, the people that watch the tank, they go, oh boy, I'm about out of oxygen here. I'm going to have to pull out a new tank. I'm ready to run out of oxygen. Now, that's, that's a poor picture of, of God's grace. God has an inexhaustible uh, and an infinite supply of love and mercy and grace and peace. And he, he doesn't run out. On the battlefield of life, you need to stop occasionally and preach the gospel to yourself. All of you have got to learn to preach. Excuse me, I've got a bad cold. I'm going to have to use that water quite a bit. We need to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. So we're going to do that, you need to find out what the gospel is. We need to study the word, study the gospel, study Jesus, study the cross, study Good Friday. And then we need, we, we, you just have to learn to preach to yourself. Because believe me, if you don't preach to yourself, somebody will preach to you. Satan will preach to you. The world will preach to you. Your desires will preach to you. You're going to be listening to something every day. So preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel is basically just an announcement of good news. It states that Jesus died for our sins and that by believing in him we can have eternal life. It's an announcement about something that has already happened 2,000 years ago on Good Friday. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant far, far more than just, well, my suffering is over. Far more was accomplished on Good Friday than we can even imagine. When he said it is finished, he meant all of his life work was finished. He accomplished everything he set out to accomplish. He left nothing undone. He left no loose ends. Everything Jesus wanted to accomplish was accomplished. And he was at his actually most victorious on that Good Friday and on that Easter, it looked like defeat, it looked like suffering, it looked like uh, an absolute disaster, but it was a marvelous victory. Satan was absolutely smashed on Good Friday, defeated forever and ever. Think. How much changed in those few hours? He only hung on the cross from about 9 to 3. Of course, his suffering probably started in those early morning uh, hours in the courtyard as he was beaten beyond recognition. The book of Isaiah says he was beaten so bad that he could not even be recognized. Then after he was beaten to within an inch of his life, you and I would have been dead before we even got to the cross. I'll tell you that right now. I would have never made it out that courtyard. I would have never made it to the cross. I would have been long, long since dead. 
that Jesus knew that he had to go to the cross and he was in control. Jesus went to the cross when he wanted to go to the cross. He accomplished what he wanted to do on the cross. And he died when he wanted to die. And he said, into your hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. He died when he wanted to die, when his work was finished. Never has Jesus been in so control that when he's on the cross, he is winning and he did win our salvation. So at the end of the day, about three o'clock in the afternoon, when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished. The salvation of my people has been secured. Just consider what happened at about three o'clock on that good Friday. Your sins were paid for. His righteousness became your righteousness. You were an enemy, but now you're a friend. You were in conflict with God. Now you're at peace. You were a stranger. Now you're in the family of God. All of this happened three o'clock in the afternoon, Good Friday. All of this took place. You were an orphan. Now you're adopted. You were condemned. Now you're justified. You were a child of the devil. Now you're a child of God. You were on your way to hell. Now you are on your way to heaven. You were in the world and now you're in the kingdom. You were alienated from God and now you've been reconciled to God. You were living for yourself and now you're living for God. Your life had no meaning whatsoever. Now your life is full of meaning and purpose. You have a reason to get up in the morning. You once were blind but now you see. All of that is wrapped up in that phrase, it is finished. God's marvelous grace was beautifully on display and Good Friday changed everything. So God is both just in what he does and he's the justifier of those who have sinned. God does not overlook your sin, wink at your sin, or pretend it isn't there. He punished it all in Jesus. So, don't, I mean, grace is free, but grace was costly to Jesus. It's free to you, but it cost him everything. And don't think that grace is some kind of an easy way out or that it uh, overlooks something or it's just some kind of a grandpa in the sky winking at sin. Heavens no. God punished all of your sins. It just happens that Jesus was punished in your place and won your salvation. Rather than punishing you, God punished Jesus and all of your sins were placed upon him. So God is perfectly free and perfectly right to save sinful people like you and me. That's the gospel. Preach it. Preach it to yourself. Focus on Jesus. Remind yourself over and over again of the work that Jesus accomplished and finished on Good Friday. Now, when you sin and fail 
uh, just remind yourself that Jesus has died for your sin. Uh, claim 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't just sit, soak, and sour in your sin. Confess it and move on. Confess it and move on. You know, we have to repent every day. Uh, Martin Luther once said that uh, all of life begins with repentance. And really it is. All of life is just one big uh, series of of repentings. And um, we just have to constantly repent um, and confess our sins and claim the forgiveness that God offers us. So in your struggles against sin, don't operate from a position of defeat, but from one of victory. Not your victory, but the victory of Jesus. Realize that God loves you as you struggle against your sin. Realize that Jesus paid the price. Realize that God is willing to forgive you over and over again. Realize that you're in the family. You've been adopted. You have been adopted into the family of God. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a way of speaking. We don't just say, oh, isn't that nice that we're kind of called sons and daughters? No, there's nothing nice about it. It's a reality. We really have been adopted into the family of God. You really are one of God's children. He really is your father. And he's not going to disown you. As a young child, when I disobeyed my parents, I might get a spanking, and I did get a spanking. But they never kicked me out of the family. That was not even in the universe of possibilities that my parents entertained. It would have been utterly inconceivable for my parents to even contemplate the possibility that I was no longer their son. It didn't even enter their mind. Was I displeasing to my parents? Yes. Was I disciplined? Yes. Did I ever leave the family? No. My parents wouldn't even dream of that. Now, if a human parent would never dream of, of kicking a kid out for, for, for disobeying, how much greater is our Heavenly Father? I think I really learned the, the rudiments of grace from my parents. I think they were teaching me grace and they were teaching me... Um, um, acceptance and love uh, without even realizing it. So when later on as a teenager um, when I heard the gospel and I heard about grace it made sense to me. Someone explained to me that, that, that God wanted to save me totally as a gift and just totally because he loved me and, and it wasn't up to me and all I have to do is just reach out and take it and You know what? It actually made sense to me. Now, there's some people for whom it's a little bit harder. That whole idea of grace is hard because they've never experienced it at home. They've never experienced it in their life. And so when you come along to some red-blooded, hard-working American person and tell them that uh, that salvation is totally of grace, it's kind of hard for them to accept. It wasn't for me. I think it was just because I had good parents who loved me and were gracious to me and accepted me just the way I was. 
So when I finally did one day hear the gospel, I thought, yeah, makes sense to me. I needed grace. I needed it from my parents, and I needed it from God. So as a believer, you are so united with Jesus that God can't even think of you without thinking of Jesus. 164 times in the writings of Paul alone, the Bible says that we are in Christ, that we are in Jesus, that we are united to Him. That is Paul's writings alone. 164 times he hammers at us. People, people, you are in Christ. You are in Jesus. You are covered by His blood. It is in His grace that you are saved. And I think that in the mind of God and in the eyes of God, you and I are so linked to Jesus that God can't see you without seeing Jesus. You are precious in His sight. You are valuable. You are blessed. Not because of anything in yourself, but because the the blood of Jesus has actually been applied to your soul. God's never going to turn away from His the, the blood of His Son. And I like to often vision, envision myself, you know, just drenched in the blood of Jesus, standing before the throne of God. And you can't see me. All you can see is the blood of Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, in other words, if we struggle with our faith, if we have doubts, if we have frustration, if, we, if we, sometimes we just don't have any faith at all, if we're faithless, God remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. He will never turn His back on the blood of Jesus. And that's what covers you and me. So if we're not focusing on Jesus... What are we focusing on? Ourselves. Rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus, so often we focus on ourselves. We focus on feeling good about ourselves. And the source of that good feeling is often how we perform or what we achieve and how we compare and how we stack up in comparison to other people. Um, I'd like to run a little short experiment here that shows how... um, how we often think about ourselves. I'm going to make some statements over the next few minutes. This probably will last about two or three minutes or so. And all of these are fictitious statements. But even though they're fictitious, they do kind of bear some resemblance to reality. This is some of the thoughts that might go through your mind from time to time. You know, I attend church here every Sunday. I've noticed that uh, that new family in church... They only come about once or twice a month. I bring my Bible to church every Sunday, but I notice that there's a new guy coming on Sunday night. I think he's new in town here. I don't even think that guy owns a Bible. I'm so proud of my kids, straight-A students, so well-behaved, and all the teachers love them. The Sunday school teachers love them. But you know, there's some kids here on Wednesday night. Man. Dirty? No manners? <laughs> my kids. <laughs> my kids are so much better than that. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good parent. 
One time I was in Sunday school and a guy told me about a movie he went to. I just unheard of back in my day. We, we didn't even know what movies were. Did you see that new woman in church last Sunday? Sat over there by the organ. Did you see what she was wearing? <sighs> Looks like she just walked out of a bar. I'm so thankful that God's blessed our family financially. I'm so proud of how I manage my money. You know, there's so many Christians in this town that are just poor money managers. You know, the other day, one of the leaders of the kids program told me that, uh, he said, boy, you're, we're really lucky to have you in our, our kids' ministries here. Uh, our church is so blessed, you know. And I thought, yeah, church is kind of blessed to have me. I love to listen to K-Love Radio. You know, the other day I was down in Joplin and a guy pulled up to me. And it was a guy from the church and he pulled up and rolled down his window. And as I came up to him there in the parking lot, he had the radio on. <laughs> it wasn't K-Love. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I'm not like that. Stop. Now, where was Jesus in those last two minutes? Not one mention of Jesus or the cross Jesus was in the rear view mirror I'm in the driver's seat and I'm on the road to works it's all about me that's called a fall from grace no longer are you focusing on Jesus and the cross you're focusing on yourself and your performance and this is what Paul would say to us in Galatians 3.2 I would like to learn one thing from you did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul would say, you know, you, you came in through grace, but man, you have long since left grace and you're just grinded out in the energy of the flesh. Now, at some point, someone might say to me about all of these things that you're trusting in. Someone might say, now, Dennis, hold on. I know I'm self-centered, and yes, I do slip back into works mentally uh, once in a while. And yes, I do feel kind of good about myself from time to time. But um, I'm not trusting those things for salvation. I trust in Jesus alone. To which I would say, well, maybe in theory, most of us are trusting in Jesus alone. But in real life, I'm not sure. The slope from the heights of grace to the valley of works is a very, very steep slope. It's a very slippery slope. And when we focus on ourselves and compare ourselves to other people, we're walking dangerously close to that slippery slope. From the point of view of doctrine, you are technically not a legalist. You trust in Jesus alone to save you. But practically speaking, on a day-to-day -day basis, you sort of give off an air, an atmosphere of legalism. They used to say, if it looks like a duck and swims like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And we've got to be careful that we are not legalists. Jonah 2.9 says, salvation is of the Lord. Isaiah 42.8 says, I am the Lord. This is my name. My glory I will give to no other. One year from now, on October 31st, 2017, we will celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Re Reformation. We're one year away. This is year, four, uh, year 499. 
So we're going to celebrate uh, the date that Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. One of the hallmarks of the Protestant Reformation was the fact that we are justified by grace alone through faith alone. But there's another hallmark of the Reformation that was this. Salvation is found outside of me, not inside me. It's found in looking at Jesus and looking at the cross, not looking at myself. Prior to that, the Catholic Church was very introspective. They encouraged you to look at yourself and to examine your heart and to look at your hidden sins and to confess your sins and to pay your indulgences and to get down on your hands and knees. They would sometimes assign people this task. Here's street level. There's the entry to the church. 100 steps up. For your sins, you need to get down on your hands and knees and step by step crawl your way up to the top of the church. But you stop at every step. And on every step, you confess your sins. You look inside. You look at yourself. You try to improve your life. You promise to reform. You promise to be better. That's the first step. You've got a hundred steps to go. You crawl up the next step. You confess your sins. You promise to improve. You promise to be better. You say some Hail Marys. That's step two. You go up the next step. One hundred steps to the top of the church. And you are on your hands and knees and you stop at every step confessing your sins, crawling your way to heaven. That was 499 years ago. And some of us today with bloody knees are still crawling up one step at a time, just kind of clawing our way to heaven. That's works. But God is marvelous. God is wonderful. He's gracious. And He is so kind and He is so good to us. I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Rest in His love. Rest in His grace. He has lavished His grace upon us. Darren, why don't you come? Let's look at one more verse and Darren will lead us in a final song. Ephesians 1.17 In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He has lavished on us. God has lavished His grace and His love upon us and His grace is enough. I hope you're living here encouraged. Walk out the door excited. Think about Jesus. Think about all he's done for us. Think about his goodness. Focus on him, not yourself. God bless you all. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.